Warning, the following show doesn't represent the opinion of CIBL, its employees, or the local clown college. Yeah, my rhymes flow like I'm right along Sally. It's Baba Brinkman. I took a swift left at the valley. That's a dope municipality. <laughs> Check it out, Baba Brinkman. Freestyles flows straight up out of reality. Left at the valley. <laughs> Peace. I woke up this morning. Had a burning deep inside. When you're feeling It's all a big lie I feel the pain There's hunger and despair Stop the rhetoric of your teaching Time for us to share Welcome back to another edition of Left at the Valley My name is Kevin, I am your host and joining me, of course, as usual, is my great team. Hi, guys. How you doing? Hello. Hello. Doing good. Awesome. Awesome. Hey, um, before we get in, uh, this is a show, of course, about positive atheism, secular thinking, and uh, skeptical thinking, and secular humanism is what I should really say. And uh, thank you so much for being with us. Hey, uh, before we go into uh, our usual, guys, I just wanted to mention a few things. Um, first of all, I, I want to congratulate Ahmed. Remember our friend Ahmed? who actually helped us with a lot of uh, Muslim-oriented uh, shows. He actually, uh, he's a friend of mine, he's Egyptian, and he actually became a Canadian citizen. Oh, so excellent. congratulations to him. Absolutely. And I uh, want to sell our, uh, send our well wishes to our friend Connie, who has been under the weather lately, and uh, she's uh, struggling with that. So, Connie, we're here for you, dear. Get better soon, Connie. Big hugs. Did you guys notice, I was watching National Geographic the other day, do you guys notice that ever since they, it's been bought by uh, Rupert Murdoch, and of course who owns Fox, that that that, that um, series, I guess, not a series, the, 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 the show itself, not even the show, the channel, has been taking a dive. I mean, I was watching today how they were praising Ronald Reagan in the 80s, and now they have a the story of God that's going to be appearing on National Geographic right away. Now everything that was like scientific just went out the window, and now it's like... The History Channel all over again. Oh, yeah. it was it was a sad day. I don't know whether you remember. Um, well, it was only last year, I think, that Rupert Murdoch bought it, and one of the first executive decisions was to lay off uh, what was it, 120 of the photographers and journalists that had, you know, maintained the yeah. continuum of excellence since the 1800s. Yeah, it's pretty terrible. Oh, I mean, to see to see such a, a death to just. Uh, I wonder if the National Geographics are going to become the older version. The older editions are now going to become priceless because they are uh, they are an extinct breed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who knows, dear? I'll I, ask I you to flip your microphone up a bit. Okay. I didn't notice because I pretty much boycotted National Geographic right after I found out that Robert Murdoch bought it because he canceled Firefly. <laughs> <laughs> can't blame you, can't blame you. And there's another thing I want to announce. Did you guys know that right now, this is our second anniversary at Left of the Valley? Happy anniversary oh, to us. Really? The, two years? Oh. Two years. Well, this uh, we're starting our third year, and now on CIVL. Uh, for those of you that uh, might have just joined us on CIVL, we've got two years' worth of podcast on Block Talk Radio. And um, please don't listen to the very first shows because they're pretty rough. <laughs> 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 we're not experts. You might want to start with more recent material. But, uh, yeah, the uh, March 17th was when I opened the Block Talk Radio Left of the Valley, and our first show was actually on the 24th. Wow, so, time flies with, when you're having fun. Yeah, cool. exactly. Yeah. So now 
our third year, and it's going to be a good one. Absolutely. Perfect. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we go into our usual? Uh, oh, I saw a uh, – well – I wasn't sure. I went, I watched Transcendent the other night. Okay. With Johnny Depp. Yeah. And um, <laughs> did you say why? Yeah. Well, first of all, because Johnny Depp was in it. Well, that's <laughs> a good reason why. <laughs> and you know what? I had some kind of mixed emotions about it. Um, not because of Johnny Depp, just the story. But um, it's an interesting one. I would really like to hear either co-host feedback or um, listener feedback as to what people's thinkings were about Transcendent. Because... You know, I went into it with the kind of the mindset of, yeah, it's a science fiction movie, but I was, you know, thinking maybe the, the science, kind of like, what was that movie that, that had, uh, that was all the rave about the science, the guy that goes into quantums? Oh, you mean that, that, that old show, uh, Quantum Leap? No, no, it was a movie That's recently. That's an old show. I can't remember. Anyway, I would like to get people's input, because I was kind of, I liked it, but I didn't like it, but I kind of liked it, so yeah, it was interesting. I would recommend it. It's a good movie. So maybe we should have a movie segment. Well, the, the, it wasn't. It didn't make a whole lot of the box office. It sure did make you think about the whole thing of being able to upload your personality and your snapses to a computer mm-hmm. and download into something else eventually later. So it certainly give us food for thought. Yeah. Okay, Nancy, you ready to go? I'm ready. Okay, and here we go, This Day in History, which is a roundup of those events and people who altered and illuminated the days between March 14th and March 20th. And I'm going to break protocol here for a little bit because I usually go from the last date to the current date. But uh, today's a special day. It happens to be the International Day of Happiness. Woo! So I thought we could start out on a nice light note and ask everybody, what makes you happy? So who wants to jump in and be the first happy person? <laughs> well, I'll see. If, I'll see. If, frankly, doing this show with you guys makes me happy, and oh. I, know it's, I know it's sappy, but th- this is a way for us to actually go out there and give out our opinions. And the the great thing about radio today, and especially cyberspace, is who knows? A hundred years down in the future, people can actually look us up and say, you know, what did people think about these uh, events at this time? You know, uh, if you have a, a conversation with your grandfather or your great grandfather, grandmother, for like uh, for that matter. You don't really know. You don't. You know them a bit, but you don't really know their inner, deeper thoughts. And I think this medium is actually great for that, and it brings me great joy to be here and share that with everybody. Oh, good I'm happy. beginning. Yeah, good <laughs> beginning. Um, you know what? It's a tough question because I have lots of things that make me happy, so I could probably list them all off. But, um, yeah, I don't know. I think probably one thing, sitting down with a really good book and just losing myself in a book and having some quiet time, that, that makes me happy. But... That's just one of many, so... Well, the best thing is that you've got so many choices. I'm happy I'm happy with life. There you go. <laughs> um, I would say it's in the, in the same vein as Alistair. A lot of things do make me happy, but I have one special example from yesterday. Um, when I just stepped outside and saw some of my flowers, flowers finally come to bloom, and there was a big, fat bumblebee queen. And I just kept watching her, and she was like a hummingbird on cocaine. Just <laughs> insane. Bumblebees on cocaine make you happy? <laughs> just trying to keep track of her. Like the the comments of Martina are not necessarily those of CIVL. <laughs> <laughs> just want to make sure everybody knows that. 
<laughs> just saying. So just watching that little bugger flying around just make me insanely happy. I don't know why. I'm weird. Yeah. They got colony collapse wrong. It's not because of pesticides. It's because they're all on crack. <laughs> <laughs> How about yourself, sir? Uh, like you said, intelligent conversation doing the show. This is only my second time here, and so far it's great. I am hopelessly addicted to Facebook debate groups, unfortunately. To go to some kind of Facebook anonymous, but uh, I had a thought the other day. My two-year-old daughter had fallen asleep on my chest on the couch for like two hours, and I was like, this is the greatest thing in the world. Yeah. And remembering before I had kids, when I'd be out having you know, parties and that sort of thing, just n- still doesn't compare to the kids. Absolutely not. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Well, let me see. I think I can boil it down to goodness. Good friends, good times, my good dogs, my good kids. I, I shouldn't have put the dogs before my kids. But, they're, <laughs> but uh, they're, they're adults and they've moved off and the dogs still live with me. So they're... <laughs> dogs are easier to train too dogs than kids. Are, <laughs> dogs are easier. They don't need a, a college education or the car keys. So <laughs> that's always good too. Yeah, so that's, that's fun. I'm glad everybody had so many different different choices. So now that we're all happy, We'll go back and start with March 14th, which was World Maths Day and Pi Day. And it was also Happy Birthday, Albert Einstein, in 1879. And World Math Day was actually uh, timed uh, for Albert Einstein's birthday. So we celebrate the wonderment of Pi. And uh, math nerds likely had uh, a wonderful time because that this year's Pi Day was a once-in-a-century occurrence. And March 14th, or 314, celebrates the mathematical constant of Pi because Pi represents the ratio of circumference of a circle divided by its diameter. And while it's often abbreviated as 3.14, there's actually an infinite number of digits beyond the decimal point. And I understand, because I heard it from a TV fiction show so it has to be true that pi <laughs> <laughs> actually represents every number in everybody's life that it goes long enough so that every phone number every address every numerical fact will some be somewhere in that string of pi sounded good pi unites us all pi unites <laughs> apple <laughs> would be my favorite flavor anyway so because of Albert Einstein's 137th birthday and Pi Day, it certainly made March 14th special. Uh, March 15th was Teacher's Day in Brazil. And also in 1940, the debut of a movie called The Great Dictator, which was a satirical social commentary uh, written, produced, and starring Charlie Chaplin. Did, has anybody ever seen The Great Dictator? Oh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. It's awesome. Yeah. Good. Oh, everybody did. So you know the speech. The Anybody speech. who's listening to us who has not heard that speech, you can Google it. You can isolate that speech from the rest of the movie. But it is really an inspiring. Sends chills down my spine every time I listen to it. Um, March sixteenth is Book Smugglers Day in Lithuania because at one time the Catholic Church would only allow Latin as the, uh, the language that books could be published, so they had to smuggle in Lithuanian books. And in 1881, on March 16th, Barnum and Bailey Circus debuts. Um, and down in Sarasota, Florida, where they spent uh, the winters, uh, or the summers, rather, um, all of the streets are named 
for the for the circle. March 17th, St. Patrick's Day, so we altered Irish for the day, which was a wonderful thing. Um, <laughs> March 18th, Maurice uh, Richard became the first National Hockey Maurice League Maurice the Rocket Richard. The Rocket Richard, 50 goals. Um, and in honor of today's show on atheism, in 2013, a book by Dale McGowan called Atheism for Dummies was published in paperback, <laughs> 384 pages, which is a friendly guide to understanding atheist thought, history, and literature. Now you found where my research came from. <laughs> there we go. So ending with today, it, was the vernal e- it is the vernal equinox, the first day of spring, Woo-hoo! Woo-hoo! and that dear listeners brings to a close another passing parade of interesting, mundane, unusual, and occasionally bizarre events and people that make up this day in history. Thank you so much, Nancy. Thank you very much for this always informative segment. Now, a lot of people don't realize that uh, there's a lot of great figures in history out there, and uh, one of the things we like to do on the show is actually put a bit of a spotlight on. So today we'll do a spotlight on Tommy Douglas. My dear Tyler, you have a bit of a report for us. Yeah, so I guess I will talk about Tommy Douglas. I'm assuming most people know who he is, but for those who don't, uh, he's been called the greatest Canadian. He was well known for pioneering Canada's universal health care, and pretty much that's what most people know about him. But I find that if you go back and you look at his childhood, I guess hindsight is 2020. It looks like a perfect recipe for how he ended up, what he ended up being. Um, He was born in Scotland in 1904, and he moved to Winnipeg in 1910, but right before he moved here, he fell and he hurt his leg, and he ended up getting something called osteomyelitis. I hope I said that correctly. Sounds painful. (laughs) Yeah, so um, basically he came here, and his family could not afford to fix his leg, so they were going to have to amputate it. Um, luckily, a well-known surgeon at the time offered to do the surgeries for free if they would allow medical students to observe the, the surgeries. So they did it, and it rescued his leg. And that was kind of the whole beginning of, you know, should you have to lose a limb or be denied health care simply because you can't afford to pay for it. So this really goes back to him being six years old, right? So, um, and then... He ended up going back to Scotland during World War One, and then he moved back to Winnipeg late 1918. And then, I'm not sure if you're familiar with it or not, but uh, Winnipeg had a uh, general strike in June 1919, and he was on top of a roof observing this, and the police pretty much just gunned down the strikers. Ouch. Uh, beat them all with clubs and that sort of thing, so... That kind of shows where he got his interested interest in uh, you know unions and protecting workers and that sort of thing. Uh, I'm actually originally from Saskatchewan, so this was a pretty important story to me, especially since my grandfather, uh, Lewis Scoop, was his nickname. Scoop Larry was uh, the mayor of Moose Jaw several times. He was also CCF, just like Tommy Douglas. But um, in 1931, when Tommy Douglas was a Baptist minister in Weyburn, Saskatchewan, they had kind of a, a similar thing that happened in Winnipeg. They had coal miners that, you know, set up their own union and they were striking uh, in Estevan there. And again, 
the police beat them down and shot and killed three of them, I think. Three dead, for sure, anyways. And he was friends with them, because Esteban is, is pretty close to Weyburn. So that also shows all the things kind of coming together to create who he was. Um, I guess he wasn't really allowed to be getting involved in politics, but when you have all these things going on around you, he started talking about it at church, and they didn't really like that. So, so he was a man of the people, for sure. Absolutely. So he uh, quit being a Baptist minister, got involved with the CCF, um, he was elected to the House of Commons in 1935, and then he became the leader of the CCF in 1942, and then won the provincial election in 1944. And for, forgive me for a second, though. When you say CCF, what exactly does that oh, mean? Oh, sorry. It's a, it, the first democratic socialist party in all of North America, the very first government. Um, it was the Cooperative Commonwealth Federation, oh, okay. uh, socialists and whatnot. So there was definitely a lot of, you know, calling everybody Bolsheviks and evil communists and, <laughs> and that sort of thing. But then they won the next five elections, uh, provincial elections, up till 1961, where Tommy Douglas basically started the NDP, the New Democratic Party. It's a silly name, if you ask me. But, uh, yeah, so we got the whole health care thing all put forward together, and I believe it was July 1st, obviously Canada Day, 1962, that the, doc- that the doctors went on strike for three weeks because, while well, they were told that universal health care, they wouldn't make as much money or people wouldn't be able to choose their doctors. There was some funny rumors that they would put video cameras in all the doctor's offices so, you know, we'd be naked on camera and all these... Mm-hmm. Very strange things, but after three weeks, uh, the doctors conceded, and within the next three years, the vast majority of doctors were perfectly okay with the universal health care. They realized that their fears were completely irrational. Hint, hint for American friends. Yeah. (laughs) And then within 10 years, uh, the rest of Canada kind of followed suit, and that was the the birth of our universal health care. So if if you look back to his childhood, he just kind of saw things that were really unfair, and that people should be able to have, you know, full, equal access to it. And he went on from there with, like, forming unions, crown corporations. He actually created Sask Power, which is the publicly owned Saskatchewan Power Company, created SGI, which is the Saskatchewan Government Insurance, uh, and many, many other things. Okay. You want me to play a clip? Yes. All right. Here's a clip of uh, Tommy Douglas giving a speech. He's actually an actor, but it's a recreation of his speech called Mouseland. I would like to tell you a story. It's the story of a place called Mouseland. And this is where all the little mice lived and played, were born and died, and where they lived much the same as you and I do. They even had a parliament. (laughs) And every four years they held an election, used to walk down to the polls and cast their ballots. Some of them even got a ride to the polls. And they got a ride for the next four years afterwards, too. Just like you and me. And every time on election day, all the little mice used to go to the ballot box and they used to elect a government. A government made up of big, fat, black cats. Now, if you think it's strange that mice should elect a government made up of cats... You'll just look at the history of Canada. And maybe you'll see they weren't any stupider than we are. Now, I'm not saying anything against the cats. They were nice fellows. 
They conducted their government with dignity. They passed good laws. That is, laws that were good for cats. But the laws that are good for cats aren't very good for mice. One little law said that mouse holes had to be big enough so that a cat could get his paw in. Another law said that mice could only travel at certain speeds so that a cat could get his breakfast without too much effort. All of the laws were good laws for cats. But oh, they were hard on the mice. And life was getting harder and harder. And when the mice couldn't take it anymore, they decided something had to be done about it. So they went en masse to the polls and they voted the black cats out. They put in the white cats. <laughs> and still, nothing changed. You see, my friends, the trouble was not the color of the cats. The trouble was that they were cats. So naturally, they looked after cats instead of mice. And then one day, there came along one little mouse who had an idea. My friends, watch out for that little fellow with an idea. And he said to all the little mice, he said, Listen, fellas, why do we keep on electing a government made up of cats? Why don't we elect a government made up of mice? Oh, they said, he's a Bolshevik, lock him up! <laughs> and so they threw him in jail. But I want to remind you, you can lock up a mouse and you can lock up a man. But you can't lock up an idea. And one of these days, that little mouse is going to get himself elected. Myself, I say it's high time. Tired of being misunderstood or misrepresented? As a public service, the crew from Left at the Valley proudly presents... Know Your Fallacies with Mark Cunningham. Good evening. I've taken time out of my busy schedule to briefly explain to you, the free thinker, the finer points of logical fallacies. With some practice, attention to detail, and of course, my guidance, you will too easily disarm any artless, full-born ratsbane who dares cross linguistic blades with you. Today, let's look at another attack a vain lewdster would use. The anecdotal evidence. Widely used by those seeking validity, the anecdote is amongst the most common fallacy used to try to convince you of a claim, and, unfortunately, also a difficult one to dismiss for believers because of the sincerity of the claimant. My grandfather smoked two packs a day and lived to be 97 years old. Therefore, you shouldn't believe all those studies that smoking is harmful. In this situation, the claimant is sincere in her beliefs. However, scientific measures are almost always more accurate than personal perceptions and experiences. Her grandfather was statistically lucky to evade cancer, or maybe had a generic predisposition that helped him, but this lucky draw doesn't erase the correlation between smoking and cancer. Remind your opponent that our senses are all too easily fooled, Otherwise, magicians would be out of work. Stick to the cold hard facts because you cannot account for the numerous variables affecting your judgment every day. Now, go forth my friend and remember, knowledge is power and the one who knows wins. Until next time.
You're listening to Left at the Valley on CIVL 101.7 FM. Anti-Semitism was preached as an official doctrine of the church until 1964. Do you think that might have something to do with public opinion in Austria and Bavaria and Poland and Lithuania? That the, the Jewish people were accused collectively as a people of deicide, of the crime of the murder of God in the figure of Jesus of Nazareth. And that, that anathema on them was not lifted until 64, well after the uh, perpetrators of the Holocaust had stood trial in secular courts and been rightly punished for their actions. How can this church say it has any moral superiority? It has difficulty catching up to what ordinary people regard as common moral and ethical sense, and it still can't make itself apologize properly. And we're back. Tyler, that was a great little spot there, uh, spotlight on uh, Tommy Douglas. Good job, sir. Nice. All right, moving on. Um... We got a little segment I kind of want to try, but I before we get into it, let's see let's see how our uh, usual segment of uh, let's, see, let's see how that one goes. Maybe we'll have fun with another segment after that. I got an interesting story here. You guys know the um, Ezra Levant? Does that ring a bell to you guys? No. no? Oh, jeez, this might go. <laughs> All right. So it's called Political Correctness Strikes Again. This is a veteran journalist who was fired from the Rebel which is a right-wing website owned and operated by conservative commentator Ezra Levant. Um, he would like you to believe that he's a champion of free speech and journalistic, journalistic integrity, by the way, because, it, because the journalist apparently did not display the correct political identity. Remember the short-lived uh, Sun News that was supposed to be Fox News North? Yeah. He was one of the headers of that, Ezra Levant, right? He's, uh, I, I, I made a rant in one of our podcasts where I was basically pleading the local news station here, especially CKNW, to stop bringing this guy in. I mean, yep. this guy was just, you know... I remember that now. Yeah. So I think you're off-brand with the rebel, Levant told veteran journalist Michael Corrin in his termination email, which was dated in March 2015. Your larger political identity is, quote, confusing our audience adding that an important part of the rebel in both commentary and activism is to be a champion for social conservative and Christians. At least, that's what they ought to welcome in the public square. In my judgment, he concluded, we need to take a break from your brand. So, in other words, they fired the guy because he wasn't Christian enough, I guess. Or conservative enough. Um, Levant suggested Corrin's column offended the rebel's core audience, telling Corrin your column about the motivation and nature of critics of the Ontario sex ed curriculum may hurt many of our supporters. You might not remember that story, but the, uh, there was a bit of a, the Christian right in Ontario really opposed the sex ed curriculum in Ontario. Yeah. Yep. And uh, this, uh, this gentleman wrote an article about it, and he got fired for being not critical enough, I guess. Um, he even alleged uh, Corrin's attacked them ad hominem, although Corrin says there was no ad hominem attack. Uh, the column does debunk some of the more outlandish arguments against the uh, sex ed curriculum. At one point, suggests some critics um, have not even read the document and they are opposed to pretty much sex education outside of the family. So, he pretty much points out the, uh, the new teaching exposes children to homosexuality and that the fact that Ontario Premier Kathleen Wine is gay. 
and as much as it might be denied, I can assure I can assure you that some of the leading and loudest opponents of the curriculum have never been comfortable with her being a lesbian. But that's not an ad hominem. That's actually quite true. So, you guys have any thoughts on the, on that story? Well, the studies that I have seen shows that well, mainly in the states was the stuff that I was reading was that the states or the schools that have the least amount of sex education tend to have the highest rates of STDs and teenage pregnancy. So obviously it's not working. Yes, I, I totally agree with that. I, it seems to me that they don't seem to realize, I don't want to point a, a finger at any, any particular group, but a lot of people don't seem to realize that um, emotion versus facts, you know, versus stats, the facts are always going to win, like it or not. You might not like this curriculum because it might offend your sensibilities as a Christian or not, but you know what? The numbers speak for themselves. And they have actually shown that the... Or studies have shown that the uh, the idea of abstinence over you know protection works is is they've shown that abstinence doesn't work. Uh, at the end of the day, it's you know yeah if you want to remain abstinent, go for it. That's that's great. However, if you are going to practice anything sexual, you know they need to be aware of what's happening. And this is a lot of the problems that they don't want people to be educated because they think that then they will go out and do it. Mm-hmm. It needs to be balanced. Yeah, after purging Corrin from the rebel, Levant would actually continue floating conspiracy theories. He's really strong with that. Suggesting that the curriculum had been designed by a pedophile aiming to groom children for incest. Uh, and this, we came, and I hate to say it, but we came this close to having this kind of media all the time here in this country. And thank goodness we didn't. And this is why I was pleading places like CKNW, you know, stop using this guy. I don't care. I know, I know like, being a bit of a rebel and being, you know, you know, uh, brings in the ratings and all that, but it's not good for the people. It just isn't good if you bring this kind of radio or this kind of media. Sounds like a Canadian Alex Jones. Yeah, totally, totally. Oh, that's, no. that, you know, that's very well said. That's <laughs> no. very well said. Uh, I'm sure. I'm sure he's gonna. Well, he's probably never gonna listen to this reward, but he wouldn't be happy to hear us talk about it for sure. But it, it just shows that when you have the microphone in front of your face, you do have a bit of a responsibility to be as factual as possible. I can understand that sometimes your facts might be wrong because new science can come in and change your position, but pushing out conspiracy theories, especially for something as important as sexual education for the youth, I think does a, a huge disservice. Yeah. Any final word? No, I think you've stated it beautifully well. It's nice to be able to just sit here and breathe in and out and listen to the rational argument. I don't even, <laughs> don't even have to jump in. <laughs> just sit and enjoy it. All right, let's, get, let's let our hair down for a sec. Forgive me, Father, for I have sinned. It's time for a confession. I thought I'd bring in just something, you know, a little story that comes in, and uh, you guys tell me if I'm out of my gourd or not, if I'm stupid or crazy. You go right ahead. You can rip on Kevin today. Um, here's a story. Um, I have a bottle of, you know, Axe body wash? I have one of those at home. What I don't tell people, and I'm here to confess this, I'm confessing my sin here. <laughs> I actually got that bottle. I was actually at the gym, and somebody left it there. It was a full bottle, and they just left it there. They left. I have no idea who they was, and instead of, I just took it home. Does that make me cheap? No, I think it makes you practical because it would have been thrown away. And what here you are, just smelling spendiferous because now you have the axe. It's an improvement. 
I'm on your side 100%. Did, did you like the smell? Well, I, actually, you know, I just finished it yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> it, it, it was great. And, you know, I kind of feel bad. It's like, really, it's like a $3 bottle somewhere at Superstore. <laughs> and here I am, you know, in order to save a bit of money, I guess. And he said, oh, sure, it's like pretty much full. Why not take it home, right? So was I wrong in doing that? Should I have brought the bottle to the front counter and say somebody might come back to grab this? Just go buy a bottle, stick it, <laughs> stick it back in the gym, and no one will know. Say three hail marys and buy us all coffee. We won't tell anybody. No three three hail Christopher Hitchens. We, oh, yeah. the show you're we, on. We, yeah, we pretty, we pretty Hitchens here. <laughs> all right, so that was my that was my my confession of the day, and uh, thank you so much for listening. And we'll be right back <laughs> right after this. What is secular humanism? Critical thinking. Knowledge is freedom. Freedom from ignorance and its offspring, fear. The BC Humanist Association has been active in the Vancouver area for over 25 years. We offer a friendly and welcoming place to make new friends, as well as free educational lectures. We invite you to join us any Sunday at 10 a.m. in the Oak Ridge Senior Centre. Please visit our website for more details, bchumanist.ca. You are listening to Left at the Valley on CIBL 101.7 FM. Open up your eyes, can't you see the world is falling? Here we go with this bullshit again. Listen with your ears, can't you hear the Lord is calling? Motherfucker, that's just a win. And we're back. Tell you wanted to say something? Oh, yeah, see, that just goes to show. You become an atheist, and next thing you know, you're at the gym robbing people. <laughs> no moral standards. <laughs> well, you know what? I Maybe I recouped a bit because I actually dropped my wallet at that gym, and somebody found it, and, of course, all the $120 that was in there was gone, too. So <laughs> I recuperated $3 worth of it. <laughs> Karma. <laughs> Karma, that's right, that's right. All right, so the show today is about old versus new atheism. And our dear friend, the Reform, has got a whole report for us. So, my my friend, the mic is yours. All righty. And, you know, it's kind of unfair to say that it's, uh, when I started this, the idea for this segment, I put down, you know, old versus new atheism. But I think it's kind of unfair to say it's a versus. I think this is more of a, I want to take people through the evolution of atheism um, as briefly as possible. Um, just let me get my atheist. You mean atheism wasn't created? It was actually, it evolved? It was, I think it evolved. <laughs> but there's a lot of confusion because people now are hearing about new atheism and new atheists. And uh, so I thought, well, let's let's just kind of discuss our way through it and see, you know, I'll open things up for discussion. If people want to throw their two cents worth in, that's fine. But I thought, let's start at the beginning and, and let's get to the 21st century. In the beginning. And in the beginning, there was no Christopher Hitchens. Okay, so... <laughs> Uh, atheism is usually defined incorrectly as a s- belief of systems or a system of belief. Um, atheism is not a disbelief in gods or a denial of gods. It is a lack of belief in gods. Um, atheism, broadly speaking, is the rejection of belief in the existence of a deity or deities. In a narrower sense, atheism is specifically the position that there are no deities. However, some would say, and this part is actually a reflection on some input I had from other members of the crew, some would say perhaps more accurately, accurately that they are atheists but wouldn't claim with certainty that there is no God. Uh, as one of our, uh, one of our crew members uh, wrote to me and said, find me a God I can believe exists and I'll change my mind. 
Until then, I am without knowledge a God exists, and the default position is to withhold belief. Very so well said. Not about being without belief, it's about withholding belief. So, um, inclusively, atheism uh, is the absence of belief in any deity. Atheism contrasts with theism, which is, in this most general form, the belief in at least one deity or one deity exists. So, um, putting it out to the crew here in the room, what's, what's your definition of atheism personally? How do you see it? Okay, I'll go first, I guess. Um, I, I've always maintained that um, atheism is simply one answer to one question. And that's all there is. That's all that that makes us, uh, that binds us the common thing that we have between us here. You're uh, you're claiming that there is a God or you have a relationship or whatever, and I'm skeptical of that claim. That is atheism right there. I, I don't see any evidence for me to actually be convinced that, that, that you're right. That is it. That's all there is to it. Nancy? I'm pretty much the same way, that in the absence of evidence, I, I, don't, I don't think there are any supernatural or gods in the sky or anything other than what we have on this planet. It's kind of like if you, if you don't believe in Santa Claus, are you a Santa Claus atheist? So uh, Santa Clausist. <laughs> yeah, Santa Clausist. But it doesn't, it doesn't define anyone. It's only one part of, of your belief or non-belief system. Mm-hmm. Oh, incorrectly a belief system. It, Remember? Uh, oh. Correct. Yeah, I know. Yeah. Yeah. It, gets, it, it gets to be semantics really and you serious. find yourself saying things that serious. you know are not quite accurate. Yeah. Tyler, Martina, anything to add? Yeah, I would agree with Kevin. It's just simply, it's not a claim. It is a response to a claim that God exists. Mm. I don't claim that God does not exist. I do have a very good friend of mine who identifies himself as a Gnostic atheist. He claims to be 100% sure. I am an agnostic atheist. I might be 90, 99% sure no God exists, but I only deal with provisional conclusions, no absolutes, because I will absolutely change my mind once evidence is provided. So if you ask me if I believe in God, I say no. He'll say no as well. We're atheists together. That's it. That's the only thing that we really have in common in that sense. I'm an agnostic atheist. Like, there are agnostic theists. I know people who say, I believe God exists, but I'm not 100% sure and I'd be willing to change my mind. So they're also agnostic. Uh, before Martina jumps in, I just want to quickly uh, make a, interrupt you, dear. And uh, just to add to what Tyler says, I think a lot of people confuse the idea that um, you're being agnostic about a god, but you're almost certain about the Abrahamic god, right? And it's the same way, right? If you tell, well, is there a god? Well, it's quite possible. Is the Abrahamic god? I'm almost certain that he's not. Yeah, it has to make basically testable predictions, which Yahweh would, but a pantheist god, which Richard Dawkins calls just sexed up atheism, doesn't really make sexed test- up atheism. Yeah, doesn't really make uh, predictions that can be tested. Same with the deist god, but yes, uh, different degrees d- depends on the god. All right, Martina. I hate to be that person, but what he said. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, the term atheism originated from the Greek. Atheos, uh, meaning without God or without gods, and it was uh, used as a pejorative term applied to those thoughts that reject, or those who thought and reject God worship by larger society. With the spread of free thought, skeptical inquiry, and subsequent increase in criticism of religion, application of the term narrowed in scope. The first individuals to actually identify themselves with the word atheist uh, actually lived in the 18th century during the Age of Enlightenment. 
The French Revolution, noted for its unprecedented atheism, witnessed the first major political movement in history to advocate the supremacy of human reason. However, atheism actually goes back further than the 6th century. But the 6th century is kind of where it, we get our first glimpses. Um, among the six orthodox schools of Hindu philosophy, and I will just say now, please forgive my pronunciation of names that are not English because I have difficulty with the English language. So anything <laughs> that is not a part of the English language, I'm going to fall on my butt. Um, so anyway, among the six <laughs> orthodox schools of Hindu philosophy, Samkai, uh, again, pronunciation, is the oldest philosophical school of thought and does not accept God. And the early uh, Mimasa also rejects the notion of God. Other, other Indian philosophies generally regard, regarded as atheistics include the classical uh, Samkai and the Purva Minimas. The rejection of a personal creator god is also seen in Jainism and Buddhism in India. Minimas, you say? Yeah, I'm just I'm butchering it. You keep using the word. I don't think it means what you think it means. <laughs> Pretty accurate. So that's, so that's atheism in the Eastern philosophies. Now, if you move to Western atheism, it has its roots in the pre-Socratic uh, Greek philosophy. The 5th, 5th century BCE Greek philosopher Digoras is known as the first atheist. Autonomists such as Democritus explain, are attempted to explain the world in a purely materialistic way without reference to the spiritual or the mystical. Uh, Critias viewed religion as a human invention. I love this. He viewed it as a human invention used to frighten people into following moral order. And Prodactus also appears to have made clear atheist statements in his work. I just love that. I mean, we, we haven't gone very far. That's going back to the early um, early 5th, 6th century BCE. And here we are today. We still scare children with this idea of if you don't believe, you're going to go and burn in hell forever. I mean, nothing has really changed. Um, throughout history, many of the great philosophers were, in fact, atheists or atheistic in their philosophy. And this is actually a really interesting fact that I came across. Um, early Christians were labeled as atheists. Yes. They believe uh, in the Roman gods, the, right? Yeah, by the non-Christians uh, because of their disbelief in pagan gods. During the Roman Empire, Christians were actually executed for their rejection of the Roman gods in general. And they were executed because of their failure to worship the emperor. However, when Christianity became the state religion of Rome in 381 CE, heresy became a punishable offense. So they just flipped it over. Interesting. The Middle Ages, um, the Islamic world underwent a golden age with the associated advances in science and philosophy. Arab and Persian lands produced outspoken rationalists and atheists, whose names I will not pronounce because I will butcher them. <laughs> However, they wrote and taught that religion itself was a fable invented by the ancients and that humans were of two sorts, those with brains but no religion, and those with religion but no brains. Ooh, jeez. <laughs> that's a t-shirt that's a one for you right there. Yeah, where's my, where's my sound effect? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so moving into the 17th and 19th century, does anybody have anything to add to what I've just said? Uh, yeah, actually, a quote from Stephen Roberts. Once you understand why you reject all other gods, you'll understand why I reject yours. Yes, and I would add something from Christopher Hitchens that would say, you know, we can't really be mad at religion because it was our first attempt at trying to explain the world around us. But now we just have better explanations, so it can just go by the wayside. Yeah. Again, those with brains but no religion, and those with religions and no brains. <laughs> so the 17th and 19th century, historian Jeffrey Blaney 
wrote that the Reformation paved the way for atheists by attacking the authority of the Catholic Church, which, in turn, quietly inspired other thinkers to attack the authority of the new Protestant churches, hence my reference to myself as the Reformed, and my reports as the Reformation reports, because it comes back to that. Criticism of Christianity became increasingly frequent in the 17th and 18th centuries, especially in England and France. Uh, the first known explicit atheist was a German critic of religion, Matthias Knunz. Is that correct, Martina? Knunzing, okay. Um, in his three writings in 1674, he was followed by two other explicit atheists, uh, a Polish ex-Jesuit philosopher and a French priest, Jean Messler. In the course of the 18th century, another openly atheistic fo uh, thinkers followed, such as Baron de Holbach, Jacques-André Nagon, and other French materialists. I should have asked Kevin for the proper pronunciations of those names. No, you can't. I'm sorry, I do not speak English, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I just butcher it. The philosopher David Hume developed a skeptical epistemology grounded in um, atheism, and Immanuel Kant's philosophy has strong questioned, uh, strongly questioned the very possibility of metaphysical knowledge. Both of those philosophers undermined the metaphysical basis of natural theology and criticized the classical arguments for the existence of God. Any comments before we move into the 20th century? Uh, yeah, there was a famous story. I will find the link so we can put it up on the internet because I feel the need to support every claim. There was a very famous story about they were having church Sunday morning in this big fancy church and an earthquake struck and killed a whole bunch of people. And they kind of figured, uh, yeah, wow. <laughs> and that, I guess, sponsored or triggered a lot of people's different thoughts about whether or not God intervenes or not and this was all around kind of the same time frame that you're talking about which is you know like the birth of deism that sort of thing all right yeah, I like, it's like that that let's say they say uh, the debate was over and once they decide to put uh um geez uh, lightning rods on top of churches yeah <laughs> the debate was over then so i'm going to move quickly through the 20th century because i know our time is short uh so atheism in the 20th century particularly in the form of practical atheism advanced in many societies atheistic thought found recognition in a wide variety of other broader philosophies such as existentialism objectivism secular humanism nihilism anarchy logical positivism marxism feminism and general scientific and rationalist movement in addition, state atheism emerged in Eastern Europe and Asia during this time under the uh, leader, Soviet leaders uh, Lenin and Stalin and the communist Chinese leader Mao. Atheist and anti-religious policies in the Soviet Union included numerous legislative acts outlawing religious instruction in the schools and the emergence of the League of Militant Atheists. And then, you know, we can kind of look back and look at the Lithuanian um, a story that Nancy brought up where people were smuggling books in because the Catholic Church said nothing except for Latin. So it's almost like a flip on its head, you know? Yeah, but, uh, you, you know, a lot of people use that to say, oh, well, you know, atheists are bad. Look at Stalin. Look at Mao. Um, Stalin was not doing this thing in the name of atheism. He was stopping the the, the teach the teaching of or people from going to church because he knew he was a rallying point. Mm -hmm. The man was just hungry for power. Oh, right? He was a dictator. Exactly. He was exactly. killing everybody, atheists yeah. included. Exactly. It's not like he went to people and say, okay, well, you pray to God, well, you die in the name of science, you know. Yeah. Be cursed by Dawkins or something like that. Right? And there's a lot of misunderstanding about uh, totally Marxism is. and uh, communism and Stalin-Lenin. And I think that's maybe something we can touch on in the future in a different show because it's a whole 
subject unto itself. Are you telling me to shut up? No, not at all. But <laughs> you're telling me to hurry up. Um, so let's look at some some landmark uh, things in the 20th century. 1948, the Supreme Court case uh, brought by uh, Vashti McCollum uh, that struck down religious education in public schools. The famous Madeleine Murray O'Hare was perhaps the most influential uh, American atheist. She brought forth the 1963 Supreme Court case Murray versus Curlette, which banned compulsory prayer in public school Mm -hmm. 1966 time magazine asked the question is god dead in response to the death of god theology movement and the freedom from religion foundation which was co-founded by annie annie nicole gaylor and her daughter annie laurie gaylor and i believe her mom just passed away last year um that was founded in 1967 in the united states and uh, promotes the separation of state and church and they do a fantastic job down there um, in 2012, the first Women in Secularism conference was held in Arlington, Virginia, where secular women got together to promote atheist feminist movement, um, which has become extremely popular based on fighting the sexism and sexual harassment within the atheist community, community movement itself. And uh, that brings us into the 21st century. How much time have I got? Oh, you got a good five minutes. Okay. So within the 21st century, this is where the birth of new atheism really kind of took off. And um, it advocated the view that religion, religion should not simply be tolerated, but should be countered, criticized, and exposed by rational argument wherever the influence arises. Uh, the kind of the, the, kind of the uh, foundation stones of this movement are Sam Harris, uh, Daniel Dennett, Richard Dawkins, Victor Steinger, and Christopher Hitchens. And those four, Sam Harris, Daniel Dennett, Richard Dawkins, and Christopher Hitchens, were known as the four horsemen of the non-apocalypse. Uh, and there's a brilliant YouTube video out there where they sit and talk and discuss yes. this. It's fantastic. It's a long, it's a long video, but it's t- totally worth watching. It's, yeah, it completely is. Um, there's a lot of... Um, propositions out there uh new atheists generally seek to disassociate themselves from the mass political atheism that uh, gained uh, gained uh, popularity in the early 20th century um new atheists are more associated with the argument from divine hiddenness and the idea that absence of evidence is evidence of absence when evidence can be expected new atheists assert that many religious and supernatural claims are scientific claims in nature which should then be open to scientific testing and not just accepted blindly new atheism is politically engaged in a variety of ways including campaigns to reduce the influence of religion in the public sphere attempts to promote cultural change um, promote the idea of an atheistic identity or an atheist identity. However, there are divisions within the movement. Like I said, uh, there's a division among gender and racial balance. Now, there are some pretty heavy criticisms against the idea of new atheism. It's been, it's been called evangelical atheism or evangelical anti-theism and has been described as the conviction that religion is the leading source of problems around the world, an obstacle to creating human perfection and a Western civilization utopia. New atheists are often described as secular fundamentalists, displaying cultish commitment to science and a childish, childishly simplistic view of religion. Uh, they've been labeled as severely bigoted towards Islam and slavish uh, and of slavish faith, which um, they feel is just like blind faith. They're just following along. So um, new atheists have also been accused of peddling fear, suspicion, and hate. Uh, you know, there's that term Islamic phobia that's been brought out. Which is um, such a ridiculous term. Yeah. Uh, there's the prominence that, you know, it's mostly white, male, middle class professors, highly educated, that it's, you know, totalitarian. Uh, and that, you know, 
New Atheism in itself is is extremely dogmatic and tribal in its own uh, self-identity. So, I mean, there's a lot of criticisms of New Atheism, but um, yeah, that's kind of an abridged version of how we got to where we are today from the old classical atheism to the new, I would say maybe more militant atheism of uh, Dennett, Hitchens, and Dawkins. Uh, I think there's this wonderful little cartoon that goes on social media where you have a, in, the, in the first square, you have like a, somebody holding the Bible and says, shut up, and the other one's not talking. And in the second square, in the same, same picture, and the first one goes, shut up, and the other one goes, no. And that to me is the difference between old and new atheism. Yeah. Um, I hate to say it, but you know, maybe if atheists in the past have been a bit more vocal we wouldn't be in the kind of uh, having the kind of issues we have now today and that's that's, again one of the criticisms by the theists about the the new atheists is that they um they see them as being um having a high level of confidence in their own views and being unapologetic and i to me that's that's part of it too like why should they be apologetic totally you know i mean no one else is apologizing for their views, so why should atheists be apologetic, and why shouldn't they be forthright in saying, you know, you know what, we have a different point of view, and you know, if we're going to listen to yours, you're going to listen to ours. It's only balanced and fair. Well, like I, like I said in the in the very first rant I did here at CFL, which was the very first rant I did on 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 the, for the podcast, was um, people deserve respect. Opinions don't. Uh, you can have an opinion, but you know this automatic line that we have of saying, you know, oh, you need to respect all opinions. I'm sorry, that needs to go out the window. There are some opinions out there that are just ludicrous, uh, and uh, especially with the amount of information we have today. If somebody was in here today and saying, you know, that uh, all people that are left-handed should be crucified, that's a ridiculous opinion, and it's based on nothing. But because it's an opinion, deserve automatic respect? I don't think so. No, you, if you have an opinion, that's great. But I am going to challenge your opinion, and that's what we do here at the show. So I think just like racism, right? So, I mean, people are entitled to their own opinions, but they are not entitled to their own facts. Exactly. And I think if people want to get uh, a really good handle on what new atheism is and what what classical atheism is, there's there's lots of stuff out there on the internet. However, be very careful of what you read on the internet because it's not all true. No, of course not. Um, But you know what? There's some great books out there, too. And uh, if you check out our website at uh, leftofthevalley.com, on the left-hand side of the webpage, we actually do do a list of books, and you can find some pretty good resources in there, as well as under our resource section. There's some good, good web links to reliable sources. Well, and I'll also put up a series of links that explains how to evaluate internet content, how to identify what is reliable, what's not, and why that is. The case. Yeah, always check your source, right? Yeah. And I'd, I'd like to put a call out to anyone in our audience that has any questions about atheism or a viewpoint about atheism. Um, go ahead and send us an email. Look at our, our webpage. Let us know. And uh, we'll um, perhaps have a show with your point of view. But we will answer the questions because we're here to express our views but also to value yours and to uh, hopefully be, give you a chance to, to be part of the program with whatever point of view that you had. So we look, we look forward to a civil discussion. <laughs> <laughs> well said. Thank you so much, my friend, for the report. All right. That was good. Yeah, it's time for my rant. Don't worry, I've got the music. i got to settle. Now, I like the movie theater experience. I enjoy turning off my brain and get swept away to imagination land where super-powered humans save the world, detectives solve incredible puzzles, and mythology comes to life. But I never come out of a theater thinking that Tony Stark will fly over as Iron Man suit or Sherlock Holmes as delayed World War I. 
So why do Christians insist on feeding us their mythology through Hollywood and the silver screen? In case you haven't noticed, there's been a resurgence of Christian-themed movies lately. Anything from God is Not Dead 1 and 2, Noah, Exodus, Risen, and now this week, Miracles from Heaven. There certainly is a long and actually pretty lame history of Christian movies designed to sell their Jewish carpenter stories and questionable morals, which has given us such prized actors as Kevin Sorbo, or even better, Kirk Cameron. But unlike most Hollywood stories, the Christians are trying to make you believe that this is all real. And this recent vol- in this recent volley of films only means one thing, they're desperate. It's well known by now that churches are not just losing, but hemorrhaging members. They know their days are numbers, they're numbered, and like a wounded animal, they are on the offensive and more dangerous than ever. That's why they are trying so hard to influence the political process and now the public's mind with flashy features on the big screen. So I ask you, don't reward these peddlers of fear and untruth with your hard-earned dollars. Just like when you shop, you vote with your money. So when you buy a ticket to a Christian production, you essentially say, I approve of your club. The same establishment that hides predators from the law, the gang that supported despotic regimes, stopped the investment of science, and the same group that still persecutes gays, women, and children today. If you were a member of any other group who were guilty of such misogyny, bigotry, and barbarism, you would have resigned in protest a long time ago. So don't feed their propaganda machine. It's too high a price we pay collectively each year to put up with Bronze Age delusions. Whoops. All right. That was a well-timed ding. It was. <laughs> Belt was in the way. Like, say, yeah, of course, if you want to, by all means. Uh, we'd like to take Noah off of that list. I believe that was a movie made by an ape. Did you see the movie? No, I did not, but I, I, I do remember reading about it. Definitely not a Christian movie. My biggest problem with it was that they had some strange Pokemon version of evolution in the movie, and Noah was kind of a crazy hey, those child stone, killer. Those stone giants were awesome. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, but you know, it's still it's still going out there. People are pretending that at least you know Noah was a real figure, and we know it wasn't the case. I think there was another one, the Son of God. It was actually in the movie theaters. I didn't. See yeah, that I one didn't too. See that one, I couldn't list all of them because there's been a yeah, lot of them lately. Yeah. So anyway, that takes us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Thank you for being here. You can follow us on leftatthevalley.com. You can send us an email at leftatvalley at outlook or leftatthevalley at gmail.com. Coming up, we got what do we got going? <laughs> you, you get the schedule. <laughs> Uh, you well again. You check the check the web page. The, the the next schedule will be up. I think. Our skeptical next look one, at Easter. That's what yeah. We got. Skeptical look at Easter that's is right. the next one. That's next Sunday. Um, so get on your bunny ears. Bring your your uh, your your chocolate because we'll be uh, chowing down and kind of throwing <laughs> out the boobo. The best part of Easter. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Is there glory? Is there glory? Do you have a virgin or two?